Good morning, church. It's so good to be here. And let's, let's, uh, let's just give thanksgiving to the Lord for His presence with us. And also for the worship team that so wonderfully led us in uh, worshipping our Lord and our Saviour. So today, my topic is on the love of God eternal. And I think the love of God eternal is so crucial, so foundational to the Christian life that without it, we lose the power of our witness as well as the vibrancy of our life. And so, to introduce us to our, our topic today, what I'm going to read for us is one of the, is one of the most quoted scriptures that we have. Right, uh, especially when we meet, when we run into trouble, or we find ourselves separated from from God and from feeling His love, we often cling to this verse. And this verse can be found in Romans chapter eight, verse thirty-five to thirty-nine. If you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to this chapter, Romans chapter eight, verse thirty-five to thirty-nine, or you can listen as I read to us the Word of God. Romans chapter eight, thirty-five: Who shall separate us from the love? Of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Father, may you speak to us your heart of love. And Lord, may the words of my lips and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So, as you have heard, uh, hopefully I did it some sort of justice, the verse is a beautiful verse of the love of God. Of, of course, it is Paul writing to the Romans. And the, one of the more interesting words that are in, the, that, are in the, the, that passage of Scripture I read is this word persuaded. In the Greek, it is a perfect tense. That means it's already come and passed. It's done already. And what that means is that for Paul, he's already fully convinced that nothing in creation, nothing that ever has been, can separate you from the love of God. And it was, it was not in a moment of ecstasy, although Paul does have his moments of ecstasy, especially when you read his, 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 uh, his writings. He's very uh, given to exalting the Lord halfway while he's writing. But it is not because of a single moment of ecstasy which inspires Paul to give us this passage. What inspired Paul to give us this passage was that Paul in his whole life, through his birth, his birth hearing the story of creation, to his schooling under Gamaliel, learning the covenants and learning to be a Pharisee of Pharisees, to now being co-heir, and a son of God in Jesus Christ, he was now fully convinced because at the heart of it, Paul was a Jew. He had been brought up knowing God's love in creation, covenant, and now on the road to Damascus, the perfect love of Christ. And he was now convinced, now fully convinced, 
that nothing on earth, nothing in creation could ever separate you from the love of God. Why? Because nothing ever had. And so, how do we know this? Well, we know this because even the love of God, espoused by Paul, was existent. It existed even before Paul, even before a single one of us or our fathers or our forefathers were ever born. It existed in the heart of God even before creation. How do I know this? Genesis 1, verse 25 to 27 and verse 31. And God made the beast of the earth according to its kind, cattle according to its kind, and everything that creeps on the earth according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Tov. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female. He created them. Verse 31, Then God saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was very good. So the evening and the morning were the sixth day. And of course we know on the seventh day, he rested. So, you know, the difference between a good meal and a very good meal is that you can have a good meal at McDonald's, but you can only have a very good meal at your favourite restaurant. And what makes a difference is that really, sometimes it's the chef, some, something special about the place, right? Sometimes they are... They are equally good, but it's just something special. You know what? In all of creation, why is that something special to God? It's you. You must understand this, you know, for us human hands, uh, it takes a lot of effort, a lot of time, a lot of resources to do something grand, to do something amazing. You want to build a rocket ship to Mars? Oh, you've got to hire lots of scientists, engineers, you've got to make metals that don't even exist yet. Right, light metals that can take re-entry, entry, all these sort of things. It makes you just ask Elon Musk, uh, right? He's losing a lot of money there. It takes a lot of time, a lot of effort. And then you can do this one thing, right? So now imagine, uh, God is a bit different from, a bit, a bit different, uh, right? He can snap things into existence. He speaks, let there be light, and there was light, right? This is God, light. You make it come to existence just by talking. And this, this person, to whom all possibilities are open and to whom all creation is ready to attend to at a moment's notice, you know what he thought of creating? It was a rocket ship. It was you. It was you. Of all the genius that he had, and God, I mean, He is the founder of all genius, right? He thought of you. And this isn't some modern positivistic message. I'm not here to tell you, oh, you're, you know, deeply, you're greatly favoured, deeply loved, you know, deeply loved, correct. But it's not about you. It is about God's love for you. You are not the important subject like, above all else, you know, God's love for you 
is the whole topic here. And a lot of times we forget, we forget that, that God knew us before we were woven in our mother's womb. Fearful, that's, that's what fearfully and wonderfully made means, uh, by the way. It means that God, from the beginning of creation, thought that you were a good idea, right? In fact, He would not rest until He made you. This is the love of God from creation. But I know some of us, we may think, yeah, I can see that. I can see why God would say that. Right? Maybe you wake up in the morning, right? Have even comb your hair, haven't wash your brush your teeth, haven't wash up, right? You look in the mirror, there's like God's creation. Right? So handsome, you know. Oh I, I, I am beautiful and wonderful. Wonderfully made. I can see that. No, some of us are like that. But maybe today you're not in that space. Right? Maybe today, this morning, maybe this morning or this week, you did something that you know. Uh, not only would disappoint God, but if anybody else knew about it, they would be disappointed in you. Maybe even stranger, like, ah, like that, huh? And you feel like, maybe God regret making me. Well, uh, the unfortunate truth is that in Scripture, God does regret making people. Okay, I say first, uh, Scripture is truthful, and I, I, I must preach the word. So, God does regret making people. However, uh, one thing I want to say is that if you're still alive, then probably you haven't made him regret yet. Lah. Don't make him regret. Lah. But he, God does regret making people. And before I get into the text of it, uh, because obviously you must have text, I want to caveat this one thing. God, in the whole Bible, and from beginning of Genesis 1 to the end of Revelations, he has never regretted making someone for their unchangeable characteristics. So whether you are tall, you are short, God will not regret. Whether you are fat or you're skinny, no, that one can, uh, it can change. Uh. So that's not. Uh. Whether you are tall or short, whether you are smart or not, whether you are blind, whether you are lame, whether you are born a certain way, God will never regret making you. Never. Why? Because He made you in His own image. All He sees when He looks at you is, his, is the beauty of His image, no matter how you are born. So if you know anybody who is slightly different from you, please see God's image in them. But God does regret. And who does He regret making? Well, we find this in Genesis. Genesis 6, verses 5 to 8. Then the Lord saw the Lord then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry. Here, the Hebrew for sorry is regret. The Lord regretted. And that he had made man on earth, he was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing and birds of the air, for I am sorry or I regret that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Okay, so it sounds a bit harsh, right? But let me bring this analogy to us. Who here thinks Hitler should get second chance? Second chance. 
man, that guy, I mean, all he did was gas people. Right? Second chance? Second chance, anybody? Right? Oh, okay, yeah. So, here, right, maybe you don't like the death penalty, uh, but now you're struggling a bit. Oh, man, Hitler, maybe make excuse for him, uh, right? Some people deserve to die, right? What about the murderers? What about the rapists? Do we think we should just allow them to roam free in our society, doing as they please? Hopefully, they'll change. Do we hope for that? Most people here, especially if you have children, would say, no, lock them away. For the sake of society, they must pay for their crimes. There must be some sort of judgment. There must be some sort of justice so that society can be a just society. Maybe some of us will go in further and say, thank God Singapore still got death penalty. Right? But even for these people who God, who God would say continually intend for evil, every thought of their heart is evil, God would caveat Himself. He would promise Himself not to so easily discard them anymore. First of all, God would promise He would never do this again. And this is found in Genesis 8, verse 21. Then the Lord said in His heart, I will never curse the ground for man's sake, although the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth, nor will I again destroy every living thing as I have done. God did not promise Noah, by the way, this promise. He promised Himself. He said in His heart, I will never do this again. So, first of all, now, now you think, right, when I ask about Hitler, I will never do this again. Oh. Already a bit better than us. Huh? Secondly, for that whole generation who only thought evil, and still after that, he said, the thoughts of... Uh, Man's imagination is evil from his youth, right? Even then, Noah found grace in his sight. Noah did not find justice. He did not find truth. He did not find his just deserts. Noah found grace, hand, in the eyes of the Lord. God was so reluctant to do away with mankind simply for this one fact. God would not have creation be without you. And not because you're so great, not because you, you know, you're handsome or smart or all these unchangeable characteristics, but for the simple fact, God loves you, the very person you are. This is God's love in creation. And already, it is magnificent. So, God, is, God loves us from creation, but one thing that He is not is that He is not this distant clockmaker. You know, He makes this beautiful clock and it ticks always according to time. And maybe even when He makes mistakes, He's like, ah, it's okay. It looks great anyway, part of the furniture. He's not like that. God is not interested in just observing from afar and just patting Himself on the back how well He's done. God is far more interested in a living relationship with you, in what we call maybe even a loving relationship with you. So, and through this, He gave us the covenants. And let me give us this analogy beforehand, right? Before I got married, right, to my wife, 
uh, one thing, one practice we did way back was we sat down and to the best of our knowledge, we'll tell the other person what pleases me, right? So when you do this, I'm very happy. Of course, over time, you learn more things and uh, you, you, you should say more things. Uh, this is good uh, marriage advice. Uh. You should just tell the person, right, what is good and what is bad so that when they do something good, you can say, good job. And when they do something bad, you can say, wow. So, <laughs> sorry, pardon my Singlish. Uh, so, that's the idea, right? You give them things on, in which they can strive towards and, and show their love for you and things that they can avoid. To actually, for the same reason, show their love for you. And of course, we see this in the giving of God's covenant. I'm not going to go through all the covenant, right? Covenant Noah, Abraham, Moses, David, maybe a priestly covenant to Ezekiel, so on. And then, of course, Jesus. But then, all the covenants, God has given us, God gives us so that we can love God back. Deuteronomy 6, verse 4 to 7. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk to them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. This, these are God's, as it were, do's and don'ts. Not for going to heaven or to hell. Not for earning, uh, earning points or merit points or whatever. These are God's do's and don'ts to love God. And in fact, when we really study the commandments, we get to see that, you know, last time, how do you appease the gods? Right? How do you appease the gods? Chicken. Right? You take the chicken, and then you, you take the blood, you sprinkle all over the outer, God is appeased. Let's go and eat the rest of the chicken. Right? Or maybe you barbecue some some cow and like, oh, the incense. So last time, right, um, this is part of the Sumerian creation myth. Uh. Last time, gods, the gods uh, way back in uh, Atrahasis, right, uh, never mind that name. Last time in Noah's time, how they understood to please the gods was that God created men to cook food for them, essentially. Because the gods get hungry, right? And when you barbecue the cow or barbecue, that's why the cow better, cow better, when you barbecue the cow or the lamb, cow bigger and lamb smaller, then bird even smaller. When you barbecue them, right, the gods come down, good job, well done, because the meat is well done, then they eat, right, and they are full. And that's how you appease the gods. But how do you appease Yahweh? Burnt offerings I do not wish, right? Obedience is better than sacrifice, a broken and contrite heart. I will not despise. Ooh. What does that mean? The law of God shows the God of love. When you obey the covenants, when you love God back, it shows you exactly what kind of God He is. Not interested in chicken. He's interested in you. How you live with Him. How you offer sacrifice to Him. So now Leviticus can make a bit more sense, huh? And that sacrifice is your heart, your life, living with Him. And if you have somebody you love, 
you realize, oh, that's relationship. That's love relationship. That's a personal relationship. And that's what God wants with you. And of course, we find this in, the, in somewhat the closing words of Deuteronomy. When Moses tells the children of Israel, I call heaven, Deuteronomy 30 verse, verses 19 to 20, I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both you and your descendants may live, that you, that you may love the Lord your God, that you may obey His voice and that you may cling to Him for He is your life and the length of your days and that you may dwell in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, to give to them. You know, that you may love Him, that you may obey Him, that you may cling. So cling here, right, in the Hebrew is actually, uh, is also found before this section in Deuteronomy. It's found in Genesis. And the, the, the context is found in is a man, and a, a man should leave his house and cling. No, cleave. This is the same word, huh? cleave unto his wife. And they be, may become one flesh. The same word. And so this is why I'm fully convinced that the Torah is not a list of do's and don'ts, not a list of boxes to go to heaven or boxes to go to hell. No. The Torah is teaching us what it means to live a life in love to God. You want to love God? Well, love your neighbor. You want to love God? Do not commit adultery. You want to love God? Do not kill, do not steal, do not covet. You want to love God? Honor your father and your mother. This is how you love God. This is why He is a God of love, because His law is a law of love. And we, having the covenants, should we do them for the love of God? We love Him back. We love Him back for His love from creation. We love Him back for His bringing of us into His people. That's why. That is how Paul even understood, even before he met Jesus, how he understood the covenant and God's love. And that's why in his misguidedness, he, did, he chased others who did, not believe, who did not believe the same as he did. And he threw them in prison and he killed them. But even for such a man, God had mercy. But you know what's the problem with lists? So if I give you a whole comprehensive list, right? So 10 plus 66 in this case. Uh, if I give you a whole comprehensive list, sometimes you look at the list, then your eyes, oh, and then you, you sort of start focusing on the list and you forget the subject of that list. So I'll give you an example, right? Two days ago, Friday, um, my, my wife and I were very tired, it's at night, and she, need, she, she does a strict diet. Lah. So she needs me to cook vegetables for her. And I do so out of love. Right? So, but then I was also very tired. So she came down and she said, um, uh, you know, Andrew, can you cook for me some vegetables? Because I need to eat dinner now. Right? She had heated up all her food already. So I was very tired. And then, you know, it's like your inbox, ding, you have a new message. And then the, the box come up, cook vegetables for Joey. And it's like, okay. So, 
It's like, I'm very tired. Give me five minutes. So 20 minutes later, right, she came out and said, my food is cold. I've waited 20 minutes. I need to do work. I'm going up. Bye. And she, of course, I'm very upset. Yeah. That is like the, all the red alert come out, all the DEFCON 6 come out, all this. It's like, oh, oh, that's terrible. And I realized at that moment that I'd seen her request as a list of things to do. It became a to-doist sort of uh, box to me. Instead of, I do this because I love Joey. And of course, I felt convicted to the heart, probably the Holy Spirit's lance in my hardened heart. And I felt, no, now is the time to go and cook. But there was another, there was another empty box on this to-do list, on those, this to-do list. And that was post letters. That was in Joey's box, right, of to-do. She needed to post our gyro letters. And I said, well, she's so tired. Let me do that for her. Let me cook. And then while she eat her cold food with her hot vegetable, I will post the letters for her. And that's the difference, you see. Sometimes we get so focused in on the list that we forget the person. Sometimes when God gives us such a wonderful selection of things to do to please Him, it becomes no longer a personal love, but a perfunctory one. And of course, when I looked at it as a perfunctory list, right, cook vegetables for Joey, there's a word. I, I, I looked at it as, oh, she has to eat, and at the end of the day, if I don't cook, I get in trouble. Right? I avoid, try to avoid the... Is that love for Joey? Or is that love for me? You know, there's a word that people use to describe uh, this kind of action. And it's called hypocrisy. Right? You say you do it for one reason, actually, nah. You're doing it for another. And what should a hypocrite receive? Judgment. Correction. The whip. Right? What are Get back in line. You know, get your heart right. Because, I mean, that's how we convert all hearts, right? No, just kidding. What should they receive? God said to the hypocrites and the sinners, they shall receive my son. John 3, verses 14 to 17. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. For hypocrites and sinners... God crossed the ocean of time and space and reached out in the most personal way. With hands and feet, He reached out in the person of Jesus. Not so to judge us, but to bring us to where He is going. The love of God from eternity reached out to earth to touch our hearts. God did not wait for us to get to heaven, to meet with Him. Although it's, I mean, it's a great goal, 
right? Meet with God, get to heaven, do good, live holy. Those are great goals. But you know who didn't wait for you to become perfect? God. For what reason? Not because He needs you. Not because He's lonely in heaven. He got angels, uh, by the way. I'm pretty sure they look good. It's because He loves you. He, he think, you know, Grace, how long will it take for you to get here? Maybe I'll meet you there. You stay there. I'm coming. That's God's love. In Jesus Christ. Jesus was lifted up to God, but He stretched out His hands for us to bring us into God's love, to bring us into God's embrace. God decided for you that instead of judging your sin, He would love you out of it. This is the love of God in the crucifixion of Christ. But the story doesn't end there, does it? That's not the end of Christ's story. Even though the crucifixion is such a wonderful sign of God's self-sacrificing love for you, God's intent that you should never suffer here alone, yet still, that is not the end of the story. The resurrection of Jesus Christ and His current place in front of the Father, standing in that we may go where He is, that is the ultimate promise for us. The resurrection. And of course, we get this from John 11, 25-26. Jesus said to her, Mary, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? I'm not talking about your reward in the sky by and by. I'm not talking about, oh, your ticket to heaven, which you, which you get clocked at, you know, St. Peter, he's just standing at the door, please go in, go in. I'm not talking about that. What I'm talking about is the intent of God behind this. And you know what is the intent? God doesn't want you to be a memory in history. He doesn't want to, you know, at the, in, in eternity, of course it stretches forever, right? He doesn't want you, after this whole world is gone, after all creation has come to dust, He doesn't want to sit back and remember, ah, oh, you know, that raw ear, oh, I loved her. She was great, great while she lasted. No, Josh, not bad with his fingers. Uh. That time he played that riff, spot on. God is not interested in you as a memory. God totally don't need that. What God wants is you to live with Him forever. Now if you have your loved one, your wife, somebody you love near you, or even uh, you know, somebody you cherish, I want you to look into their eyes right now. Just look deeply, meaningfully, and master up all the truth you can in your heart and say, I want to live with you forever. Do it! <laughs> Very difficult, right? Very difficult forever. I thought the marriage vows say, until death do us part. Oh, welcome death. 
No, right? Forever, leh. Forever is long time. Forever is long time. You know, sometimes Joey, uh, she gets uh, caught into like a euphoria, like some, maybe the joy of the Lord just comes out on her. And she, ah! and she look at me and say, I want to live with you forever. Then I'm like, and she, then she look at me, you know, that look, that say, you better say back. Uh. And I look at her. I want to live with you forever. <laughs> uh, this happens a lot. Uh. This happens sometimes. Then she'll be like, oh. But what I mean is that no matter how much you love your loved one, right? No matter how much you love them, you when saying the forever part, I love you, I want to be with you, then the forever part very difficult. Why? Because you know all of their problems. Right? You know which day of the month they're upset. You know your own weakness, your own ability to displease them. You know how risky it is to like be with the person forever because hurts build up and all that kind of stuff. History is long. And if it's forever long, huh? God wants you forever. God wants your loved one forever. God loves you, and I can say this safely, God loves Joey more than I love Joey. I say forever with gritted teeth. God shouted forever in the beginning. Before He created them, He said forever. That's God's love. That's Jesus. What that resurrection life means. Do you believe? Because even as I think about it, right, there are some people which I may not want to spend forever with, lah, not every moment or every day, but I do want to see again. And I think you know what I mean. The longer you live, the more you have people you want to see again. For some of us, it may be our children. For some of us, it may be our spouses. For some of us, it may be our fathers, our mothers. For me, it is my father. When he passed away, I said, the Lord told me, you will see him again. And you know, it's interesting, uh, he now leads me to Christ. You know that? Because I want to see him again. I make sure, I make sure that I'm found in Christ. Because I want to see him again. God wants to see. And he's in God's presence. He leads me to Christ now. Who are those people that you want to see again? They're with you right now. They haven't said goodbye yet. Who are those people that you want to see? Maybe not every moment of every day, but forever. This is the love of God for us. From creation, God loved us. In covenant, He gave us the ability to love Him back. And in Christ, God showed that not only did He want to love you out of your sin, our sin, but He would never have you remain a memory. That God's perfect plan, should it be idealized, is you and your loved ones even with God forever. And that's why the love of God eternal, 
is actually God's eternal love for you, for us. So what are we to do? I've told us about the love of God eternal and how much He loves us and our loved ones. Well, the simple response is we should give Him our all. And that starts off with first, accepting the love of God. Like I said, for some of us here, whether you are a believer or not, whether you already believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour, or you are yet, you are still thinking about it, the first step, that, the first thing you can do in giving your all to a God that loves you is to accept His love. Jesus stands at the door of your heart and He's knocking even right now. And maybe you feel like you are unworthy of love. Maybe you feel like your parents never loved you in the first place. Maybe you feel like nobody ever loved you in the first place. I tell you now, I tell you right now, the truth is God loved you even before you knew anyone. Even before you knew the sound of your mother's voice, God loved you. A feeding child, a, a child who is breastfeeding, a mother can forget, but the Lord will never forget you. And the first thing you can do to respond to God is to accept this love. To accept that God did not make a mistake with you. And God will not regret making you. To accept a God who loves you just because He loves you. Second, to live in the law of God's love. Maybe you already accept that Jesus loves you, that God loves you. But when you think about living a life that is holy to God, living a life that loves your neighbour as yourself, you know, putting in the effort to go the extra mile and cut off maybe your sinful addictions, maybe you can't do it. Or maybe you don't even want to do it. Well, if that's you today, I would say this. Ask God to walk alongside you. God, in fact, He's not just there with the, with the checklist, you know, ticking and crossing. He's not there for, He's not doing that. What God wants is to walk alongside you, to guide you into loving Him, to help you to live a life of love. And of course, the last thing we can do is to lead others to Christ. See, we've talked about creation and covenant, but the perfect expression, the ultimate expression, is to lead others to God. Christ did not wait for us to come to Him. Christ did not wait for us to be pleasing to God for Him to come to us. Christ came to us when we were yet sinners so that we may believe, so that He could lead us into the eternal love of God. And for us here, maybe you, you live that holy life already. Maybe you know God's love from creation for you. Then lead others into it. Because those people that you cherish, those people that you love, God loves more than you. He wants to spend forever with them. And if you want to do the same, lead them So right now, as I've said these things, how we can give our all to God, I want us 
I want to lead us in a time of response. First of all, the first group I spoke to, if you feel that you are abandoned today, that you are alone, that no one appreciates your work, if you feel like the love of God is yet far away from you, if you have yet to believe in Jesus, I'll ask you right now, don't need to do anything. Say, Lord, come into my life. Come into my heart. As I mentioned earlier, Jesus is knocking on the door of your heart. And would you just open it and accept that God loves you? He will come in and dine with you, eat with you, live with you, love you. If that's you right now, and you want that, accept Jesus into your heart. To the second group of people, if you find yourself mired in sin, as you were entangled up in it, you, you accept that there's a God who loves you, but yet you cannot do anything. You, you, you think that every time when I wake up, the first thing I think of is sin. And you want to love God back. If that's you, Tell you first, God has not given up on you and He will never will. So would you recommit yourself to living holy with God, to pursuing His law, to living under it, to living life with God because He certainly wants to live life with you. And finally, And I'll come straight to the point on this. Is there someone you love who you want to see forever? I tell you straight up, God wants to see them forever or so. But yet, you are fearful. When you come into them, you don't know what to say. You don't know how to bring them into the love of God. You don't know how to share the gospel with them. Or you're afraid. Or maybe you're not convicted enough. You're like, I know it's important, but not. I don't want to. Maybe your sharing is without power. And you, today, you want that power. Not so much so that you can be lauded, but so you can see your loved one forever. So that from time to time in eternity, they'll be there and you see them again. If that is you, all eyes closed and all heads bowed, if you want the conviction, the courage, the power to preach the gospel, I want you to lift your hands right now. See, that's me. I want, I want the power to preach. I want the power to share the love of God to my loved ones. I don't want to see my loved ones become a memory. I want them to live forever with me and with God. If that's you, raise your hands.
Hear the words of Romans 10, verses 14 to 15. How then shall they call in, on Him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in Him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? Right now, I'd like all the pastors to come to the front. If you want the power of God to share the gospel, to preach the love of God to your loved ones that they may live forever with you and most importantly with God, if you want that power, if you raise your hands just now, I will ask you, come to the front. Come and receive the power of God as we send you to preach to your loved ones. As the power of God is here the Holy Spirit is ready to pour out His gifts on you, gifts of courage and conviction. Will you take that step of faith to receive? So now as, we, as I ask all of us to rise, to sing this song of response, if you want the power of God to preach to your loved ones, if you want the power of God to bring others into life eternal, come to the front and receive it. coming to the front to receive this, this sending, this commissioning. I, as you come to the front, do not leave until someone has laid their hands on you, commissioned you and given through the laying of hands the gift of the Holy Spirit that you may have the power to preach, that you may have the courage and conviction to bring your loved ones, to bring those around you into the love of God. Do not leave until someone has laid their hands on you.
Yes, Lord. This today we say we will build our lives upon your love. You created us with love from the beginning. Love us still and love us forever. So, Lord, I pray send your Holy Spirit down in this place and on all of us right now that our hearts may know your love, that we may have the conviction of your love. And Lord, even as we leave this place, may you fill our, our mouths with messages of your love. May you fill our hands with works that show the world of your love. May our feet go and bring the peace of your love, the peace of your gospel in every place and to everyone we know. Oh Lord, fill us up that those we love may live forever and that we may live with you in eternity. This we pray, Lord, send us out to live, work and love for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Thank you, church. This is the end of service. Go out and love the Lord.